0: hi campers how's everyone's week been so far well mine's been pretty good and like i said in the previous episode we're working on getting the sound quality better for you and it's been a bit of a process if you heard the last episode then you probably know that i am not too excited about it but the story was good and i think that we figured out the issues with the uh, sound and microphones and i'm hoping that that's going to make a difference with your listening experience so If you're wondering who I am, I'm your host, Dylan, and you're listening to another episode of Campfire Adventures Podcasts. If you've been here before, then that's awesome. Welcome back. But if this is your first episode, well, then welcome, because we got a great story for you. The boys are here as our live audience, and we were going over different ideas with people about what we could talk about and what movie to base our episode on this week, and we ended up settling on this movie known as Things Heard and Seen. And while doing some research, I found out that the movie was inspired by the Brighton Axe murder of 1982. So, yes, we are going the true crime route once again, but it's going to be cool because this story is going to take us on a few different trips. And basically what I'm hoping is, is that everyone can let me know what they think, because the goal is to be unbiased and to just tell the story in its entirety. So anyway, with all that said, it's time for us to grab a drink. We're chilling around the portable campfire, and let's get into this week's episode. Once again, real quick, we're covering real life events and it's going to be a lot of information that I'm going to try to do my best to relate to you, but I'm also going to try to be as respectful about the incidents, about the real people that are involved in here and about the murders that happened. So I want to just let you all know that if it's too much for us to go through, then no problem. We have other episodes in our catalog that you can listen to, but we're going to get into it now. So. I haven't seen the movie yet, but it is on Netflix, and we can check that out on Monday, which is, you know, what we usually do where we watch our movies on Monday. But this movie, it's actually based on a book written by Elizabeth Ruddage, and it's entitled All Things Cease to Appear. And in the book, she bases a situation and its backstory on a murder that she read about in the newspaper back in the day. And that was the story of an axe murderer from the 1980s. So let me set the scene for you real quick. Picture it, 1982, February 19th in Brighton, New York, which to give you some perspective, it's closer to Buffalo than New York City. So if you're trying to picture that too, it's close to Niagara Falls. Not exactly right out there, but close enough. And according to various websites, the city of Brighton is more of a suburban area. It's filled with a diverse population, good schools, affordable housing, and it's all around a more family-friendly environment. But on February 19th of 1982, the city would be known worldwide for a whole other reason, because after a long day at work, Jim Krosnick would return home to chaos. Now, quick side note, Jim is married to Catherine, AKA Kathy Krosnick, and the two wed after they graduated college on May 3rd of 1974. And together, they have a three-year-old daughter named Sarah. And they moved to Brighton, New York, just because Jim had recently started working as an economist for Kodak. So that's just to piece it all together. They have a nice house, and he went to work at Kodak. So back to the story. He's on his way back home, makes it in, and he's going through his house and is confronted with a scene that would send anybody running out of their home. He sees his wife Kathy laying in bed with an axe buried in her head. He finds his daughter Sarah. She's unharmed. So he grabs her and he quickly rushes to the neighbor's house where they call 911. Dispatch gets the details of the incident and quickly sends over the police. Detectives quickly arrive on scene and they get statements from Jim and Sarah. And what they got from Jim was that he says, Things seemed like any normal day. He left for work at 6.30 a.m. and that Kathy and he had talked about what she was going to do for the day. And basically, she just planned on being home with their daughter, hanging about, not doing too much of anything. And in hopes of getting some insight from Sarah, who once again is three years old, it's their daughter, they asked her if she remembered anything from the day. She says that she saw a bad man laying in her parents' bed with an axe. But when they pressed her for more details, it became clear that she was actually describing her mother, And it wasn't just some random guy laying in the bed. And it is noted, though, that Sarah looked like she had dressed herself for the day, leading investigators to think that maybe Kathy had been murdered before Sarah had even woken up. So as police make their way around the house, they look for any evidence that can help lead to a suspect in the murder of Kathy. This is what they found. Leading into the home, there was a door with a glass pane that was broken in. And it was broken in by a mall, which... It's basically a giant ax that's mixed with a hammer. So it's huge. And so whoever did this, they busted in the window. And the reason why we know they used this was because they left it right next to where they had broken the glass. So they get in through the door. And at this point, they're confronted with a tea set that's placed on the floor. Kathy's purse was ransacked and the contents were left all about on the floor. And it looked as though there were more silver items like candlesticks, some large serving trays, you know, like those kinds that fancy people have and they bring out tea on. Like a lot of silver was put out there and it was all in front of a black trash bag that was just left there as if someone was gonna put all that stuff in there and then take it. From there, they made their way into the room where they found Kathy laying face down in her bed with an ax in her head. The examiner said that it only took one swing of the ax to murder Kathy. She wouldn't have expected it, and then it would have killed her almost instantly. But while examining the scene, officers found little DNA evidence to help them process the murder to the next step. And besides that, DNA actually wasn't used for forensic science until maybe about 1986. So they weren't able to test DNA evidence against any other person at the time anyway. What they did find was a partial shoe print on that trash bag that I told you about earlier And then the two axes that were used in this burglary-turned-murder, they both belonged to the Krasnicks. Something that I think confused the detectives about what they were investigating was, like I said, it was a burglary-turned-murder. And then after the murder was committed, none of the items that were left on the floor or any of the items within the house actually were taken. So that was a weird part of everything. And they went into detail about how murders usually don't happen in a town or city like this. But burglaries happen often. And when they do happen, things are actually stolen. So that was something that confused investigators, and it gave them more questions than answers. And also the fact that Kathy was murdered by somebody, but they left Sarah alone and unharmed. It just didn't make this case relatable to any of the other cases that they had dealt with. So police decided that their main suspect at the time was Jim. He was the last person to see her, quote-unquote, alive, And they just wanted to verify his timeline of events. So they questioned him again. And they talked to him again the next morning, the morning of February 20th. And they had scheduled another time to speak together later that same day. But when the time came to speak, he didn't show up. It would turn out that Jim's parents had drove from Michigan all the way out to New York where he lived. And they picked him and his daughter Sarah up. And then they drove him back to their place. So police were shocked, to say the least, that he had left the state, literally like the day after. I don't even think it's been a full 24 hours since they started this investigation. But they had questions. And so what they did was they just followed Jim to his parents' house. He still cooperated and he offered to help the best that he could. And they had said that they needed DNA samples. So like urine tests, hair samples, blood, things like that. And he said, sure, that's no problem. We can get that for you lickety-split. However, all that would change because over like a week or so after the murder, he just lawyered up, which we're not going to be, you know, saying anything, but I mean, if you're being questioned by the police and you're the prime suspect, it would seem like a good idea to get a lawyer because you can't just tell them everything and let them spin a theory. So he's the person of interest. They're asking him questions and for DNA. So he ends up getting a lawyer so that way he can protect himself. So his cooperation stopped, and the police were going to continue working on trying to build a case. And since Jim was their prime suspect, well, they just continued to focus on him. And they left no stone unturned, allegedly. They spoke to his job, where they found out that he claimed to have a master's degree in economics. He actually hadn't finished his master's program. And police start to think that at the time, this could have been a potential cause of strain on his marriage. That maybe, you know, his wife wanted him to finish his degree. But he didn't want to and then this could have been a thing and then as they were looking for more evidence like in the cars and things like that they ended up finding pamphlets about you know people who are in an unhappy marriage what they can do but none of this stuff gave a clear motive of how jim would have been the one to kill his wife and why he would have done it and so they moved on because they wanted to establish a time of death for kathy but with limited technology at the time. They ended up getting arranged for the death and they said that it possibly could have occurred between 4 a.m and 7 a.m of the 19th which theoretically could have given jim time to murder his wife and then allegedly stage the house to look like it was being robbed but at this point these are all just the theories and the police were not able to establish beyond a reasonable doubt that jim in fact had killed his wife so the case was put on pause indefinitely and eventually It just grew cold. So Jim and his daughter, Sarah, eventually moved away and they started a new life in Washington. Jim did marry a few more times before he eventually met his new long-term wife, Sharon, and everything seemed like it had just settled. Jim and his wife, Sharon, lived happy and Sarah and her dad still had a great connection, but justice hadn't been brought or given to Kathy. So years go by and eventually this cold case that seemed as though... It was forgotten got new life brought back to it the year was 2015 and the fbi decided that they could help and reopen this case because over the years dna testing and forensic science and technology itself just advanced the eons ahead of what it was before and they believed that solving this case was now something that they could achieve so testing was done on both of the axes used at the crime but no dna was found from jim or anyone else which, to me, I was like, oh, dang, you know, no evidence. It's all gone. But to the prosecutors, it was more like, okay, well, no one's DNA is on the weapon. And we know it belongs to Jim. So that must mean someone else didn't use it. It would have had to have been him. And basically, if somebody else had used it, there would have been some type of DNA, some type of handprint or something. So they refocused on Jim as a center of this investigation. Then there was a partial footprint that they found on that trash bag. Well, apparently this print comes from what investigators believe to be a loafer or like a boat shoe. And their thought process with this was, okay, this murder was committed in the winter of New York. So who would be wearing boat shoes out and about like that, let alone wear them to rob someone and then just leave, you know, but do you know who does wear boat shoes? Jim does. And he actually left a pair right by his bed, which they have a picture of. But once again, I don't know. Does that give people the right to just assume that he's guilty? They didn't even have proof that that shoe that they found in the bedroom was the same one that was used to make that print on the trash bag. So I'm not sure. And now to get an exact time of death, they reached out to Dr. Michael Baden, who worked on multiple high profile cases. He found that the murder of Kathy was committed at 3.30 a.m. on February 19th of 1982. So in 2016 officers had all this information and they went to the Krasneck's home and they informed them that they had some news and more information on a prime suspect in the murder of Kathy Krosnek. Jim and Sharon his new wife let them in and they talked to them a little bit about what they had found and who they were looking for and eventually they told him Jim you're the main suspect in this murder investigation. So on November 1st of 2019 Jim was indicted on the murder, and he turned himself in with no trouble. The trial had commenced, and it's important to say that Sharon never believed that Jim committed these murders. She didn't ask him to go into detail about it during their marriage, but she believed that he was not guilty, and neither did his daughter, Sarah. So his lawyer provided the court with another suspect who law enforcement didn't seem to really consider at the time. The man's name was Ed Larby, and he was a serial rapist slash murderer, and he had no problem harassing and attacking women. And then he also lived just five minutes away from where Jim and Kathy lived in New York back in 1982. So the defense believed that it's possible Ed had come into the home, murdered Kathy, more than it being possible that Jim did it. But do you wanna hear the crazy part? Ed actually confessed to the murder before he died in 2014. So it's a crazy twist with this information, But there's a catch. So he did confess to the murder. But when he had described who Kathy was, it was a different description. He had said she had black hair. And, you know, she looked a little bit different. And then when he confessed, he described that, you know, he actually sexually assaulted Kathy. Which she wasn't assaulted. They did a test and it was just the axe in the head. So people are taking that confession with a grain of salt. And although he was possibly in the area, it didn't seem like 100% without a reasonable doubt that he would have been the person who killed Kathy. So that's why police investigators didn't look into him at the time. So people accusing Jim of murder, they didn't put much stock in this Ed Larby theory. So time went on and eventually both sides of the trial had made their cases against Jim. And when it came time to decide, the jury took about 10 hours and they found that they believed that Jim he was responsible for his wife's murder in 1982. He was given a 25-year sentence to life for the murder of Kathy Krasnick. The picture painted was that of a man who never showed violent tendencies before or after the murder that one day he just snapped. And on this night, he staged his house to look like a robbery, and then it turned into a murder. So has justice served? I don't know. Like, when I had first read all the source material, I was like, okay jim did it i know he did it it was the husband you know the husband he made it look like this robbery happened and it just it all made sense to me but i also feel like every piece of evidence that was used to convict him was circumstantial it wasn't definite so is it beyond a reasonable doubt that they had proved jim was a murderer i mean i don't think so but i also don't think that this case was an easy one to work with I would have wished that the investigators in the beginning looked for everything possible and to take samples of that shoe. They didn't get a sample of the shoe print. So how could they test it against that loafer or even taking those loafers in? Something like that. And then, you know, also maybe look around the house for blood. I would think that using an axe, you know, to murder somebody would make it messy. So looking for blood prints on... Jim on you know left in the bathroom or like washed in the washer or something like that something to clean up all the evidence that he would have had some type of role in there but I don't know I don't think that this case was so easy to just say it was Jim and I do understand that they put a lot of effort into like trying to figure out you know who murdered Kathy because obviously we want justice there but I don't know it just doesn't seem like it was a smoking gun for this you know whole thing so The only thing that I have to say about that is that neither does Sharon or Sarah. None of his family believed that he actually had committed these murders. And so Jim himself, he actually appealed the court's decision. But before it could go really anywhere, Jim was diagnosed with esophagus cancer. And it was bad. So after spending six months of his 25-year sentence in jail, he died. And now his wife and daughter are still fighting to clear his name. But who knows where that will go? But do you think Jim did it? If you do, please let me know. Am I not thinking enough? I mean, they didn't really find fingerprints. They weren't able to establish, like, a really good timeline of the events that happened. I know that they got that new forensic guy, and he had put the time at 3.30. But this guy was involved in a lot of high-profile cases, so some people don't believe everything that he says. And they've also asked other investigators what they think really happened and what time frame and some people said it would be more of a range between maybe like five o'clock and one in the afternoon so how he got it so early is nice but was that just something that the prosecution was looking for somebody to cooperate this idea that it was happening early in the morning so that way jim was the only suspect that people would think in their mind when they thought of this murder of kathy i don't know and i'm not an investigator and i don't think that i know everything about something like this but I do think that this case was just either, you know, way before it's time to have it be solved or was just looked at maybe sloppily because I feel like there was so much more evidence that could have been put together. I will say that the pictures that you can see and that I'll post on the website definitely show that this robbery does not look like a robbery. It looks like I don't know it looked like it was all just set up it looks staged 100 percent. and like you put it all in front of a black bag and also the fact that two axes that were used in this murder belong to the family so you're telling me that wherever these axes were i'm assuming they're in the garage so a murderer would have to get into the garage grab these axes then you know go around to the front door break into the house if you're already in the house why not just go in But that's not my business. And obviously, I don't know the layout of the house. But this is just something that I'm thinking about. But you use one ax to get in. Then you're like, let me set this on the side. Let me start to, you know, ransack the house a little bit. And then, oh, wait a second. There's probably, you know, someone for me to murder upstairs. so Let me go upstairs and then kill them. Like, it just, it didn't seem like it made sense. So, I don't know. I don't know. So, if you think that it's something else happened, please let me know. I don't know that i feel like jim is 100 innocent but i also don't think that he was 100 proven guilty either so well at the moment that's what his family is fighting for and i guess we're just gonna have to do an update whenever that gets but this is also the coldest case that was solved in new york at the time it was 40 years that they solved it so yeah and also if they would have looked into ed a lot more you know recent, I mean, from the event that happened back in 1982, obviously, but if they'd have looked at him right away, they could have looked for an alibi. He could have maybe had a job or he could have, you know, been out somewhere and they could have asked people and he could have been excluded from this murder 100%. Instead, he says his confession, but people don't believe him because he's a questionable character. So, and obviously his story is questionable, but I mean, 40 years later, who's wouldn't be? So this is a story that I have to share with you. It was inspired by a book that inspired the movie, Things Heard and Seen. And we are going to watch that movie on Monday, so get ready. And like I said, you know, we're at the end of an episode. If you feel like you have a theory, let me know. Because I was going down these rabbit holes and I was like, nope, it was a husband. It's a husband. It's always a husband. And I get that that's our mindset, but also justice needs to be justice. So if it wasn't just, then what was? And so anyway, well, that's the story of the Brighton Axe Murder of 1982. And, yeah, if you knew about it, let me know. If you didn't know about it, well, we talked about it now. I do hope that Kathy gets her justice eventually. And if this is it, well, then that's awesome. But maybe a little bit more proof. But that's the end of today's episode. Uh, We're going to watch the movie on Monday. I appreciate all of you out there listening to Campfire Adventures podcast. Thank you so much. We fixed the audio, and now it's just time to fix the scheduling because things in my life have kind of moved around a little bit but that's okay we'll figure it out and um yeah i like this i like this whole vibe we got one more halloween episode that i'm going to do and then we're going to get into the holiday season so get ready for that but yeah all right welcome to the end of another episode check us out at our website www.campfordadventurespodcast.com i'll put source material i'll put pictures that they had of the house and like what it looked like as they went through that of Kathy, that of Jim, all that stuff. There's a 48 hour episode, which I was reading an article, which basically throughout the episode, but I'll also put the episode that's on YouTube on the website so you can watch it. And then I will also post stuff on our Instagram and Facebook at Kent Fred Richards Podcast. But whether you listen to this in the morning or the evening, I hope you have a good morning or good evening. And with all that, I'm gonna say good night. So good night, bye.